Today's scripture reading is found in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 8. I'll be reading from the NIV. Hear the word of the Lord. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here am I, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Smitty. Thank you, worship team, for leading us. Beautiful songs this morning. Good morning, Trinity Church. So good to see you here. I'm Pastor Jeff Gangle. Glad to welcome you as part of our gathering today. We were, as you can tell, we were able to put a few more chairs in, still kind of in groupings and spread apart. But this is great to see uh, the room nearly full again, and uh, so great that you're here to part as part of this worship time together. Um, and just great to hear about what's going on these ministries. Uh, thank you all for being here from the Ruth House. We really appreciate it. We've, we've had a long-standing partnership with the Ruth House, and so good to hear just in person how God's used that ministry in your life and to have your family here. Holly, so wonderful. Thank you for being here. And um, please do pick up some information, especially if it's new to you. If you're not real familiar with the ministry of the Ruth House, get familiar, please. This is a partner ministry. It's one of the ways that we as a church the church is not just what's in the building, right? It's about God's people at work out in the community where people need the gospel, need to hear about Jesus. And so these partnerships are vital to who we are as a church. So please become familiar. If, if God leads you to give specifically, we give as a church, but you want to give personally or if you want to help and volunteer, please do that. That's part of the way that we function as the church in our own community. Same with this CARES opportunity. So you'll hear more about this. We'll send out details this week. But uh, just like we did at Thanksgiving, the opportunity to provide 250 meals for needy families in our community at Easter. I mean, we celebrate Easter because we know this is our life and what Jesus did coming back from the grave. And this is a practical way for us to give life back to others through simple gifts of food. So um, again, 
just encourage you to participate however you can in that, uh, in that effort to work through CARES, our partner there, and to get these meals to families. Uh, let's pause for a minute, let's pray, and then jump into this amazing passage we have this morning, all right? Lord, thank you for this gathering. Thank you for this beautiful day that you've created, the sunshine, the warmth, and just this past week, especially to see spring just bursting forth, the reminder that, of new life in you. And this, this month, as we prepare ourselves for Easter, this first Sunday of April, I pray, Lord, that you would just keep nurturing that hunger, that desire, that hopefulness for life that Easter Sunday represents. And Lord, this morning I pray that you would use this passage, this tremendous personal story from the book of Genesis to, uh, to point us to Jesus and to see you in a whole new light this morning. I pray that you would guard my words, help me as, as the one preaching to, to accurately communicate what you want for us today. Guard those words, help me to speak correctly of your truth. But then, Lord, what we know is that it must be the power of Your Spirit at work in us, the power of Your living Word on us that we desperately need. Lord, please do that work in us. Stir us, motivate us, encourage us, comfort us, push us to faith and obedience. In Jesus' name we pray this this morning. Amen. He was probably in his teens. We don't know for sure his age. But we know as he was old enough to know something unusual was going on. That he was still young enough to defer to his father. Isaac had seen his father offer sacrifices before. That wasn't totally new. But this time just seemed different. It happened sudden. It was unplanned. In fact, the It was so rushed and unplanned this time that even though they had already loaded their gear for this 45-mile, three-day journey, even though they'd cut the wood for the fire, Isaac realized they had not gotten a lamb from the flock. They were going to offer a sacrifice, but they didn't have the lamb. It didn't make any sense to him. It seemed odd. But, But he trusted his father. When they got to Moriah, three days later, Abraham loaded the wood on Isaac's back. As he bent under that load, he must have felt the the branches poking him, the bark rough against his back. They left the servants. They began to climb the mountain together, father and son. And only then did did Isaac voice the question that had been gnawing at him for three days? Father, we have fire and we have wood, but where is the lamb for our offering? His father assured him that God would supply the lamb. Isaac didn't understand this, but he also didn't ask for an explanation. He just continued to hike up the mountain. Abraham covered it all with silence because the conflict was boiling within him. The Word of God to him had been crystal clear. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, 
just in case he didn't know for sure who he meant, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there. Sacrifice him there. As a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. And Abraham, what did he do? He, he obeyed immediately. It was the voice of God that had spoken to him after all. But how could God possibly ask this of him? Never before had God required a human sacrifice. And this, his beloved son, Isaac? No, this, this couldn't possibly be. Because God had specifically promised Abraham that Isaac was the son of the promise, that all the promises given to Abraham would be passed on to Isaac and to his descendants after him. How could God break his promise? How could God ask him to end the life of this miraculous son who had been born in Abram's old age? But Abraham's life had been lived trusting God and following God, and so he couldn't stop now. He couldn't disobey now. Surely, Abraham thought, surely God would intervene. God would stop him somewhere along the way in those 45 miles, in those three days. He didn't tell his servants or his son what God had spoken to him. He just moved forward, one foot in front of the other, believing God would work it out. So when they left the servants, Abraham said to them, we will worship and then we will come back to you. Implicit faith right there. And of course, when Isaac asked about the lamb, Abraham said, God will provide the lamb, my son. Explicit faith. Abraham carried the fire. He carried that knife. And they continued to hike up the mountain. That's the story we have this morning. This true, amazing story of Abraham called by God to follow God. A man whose life had been lived following God, trusting God. Who surely, surely had to be asking the same question you're asking in your mind right now. Why would God ask Abraham to do this? Why? Why would he do this to his servant, this man who had followed him so faithfully? Why would he make this outrageous demand? And honestly, if we th think about it, if we talk about it, look, about it, look at it, it was outrageous to us. But we have a little insight. The author, most likely Moses, whoever collected these, these facts, these stories later on and wrote them down as we have them in the first five books of the Bible, gives, gives us a little bit of insight. Verse 1 of our passage this morning says, God tested Abraham. This was a test. This man's faith, Abraham had continued to grow throughout his life, and now he's ready for this ultimate test. There's something more to the story, though, because this is not just about Abraham. It's not just about his faith. This is about God's plan to save the world. It's all embedded in this story. This is not just about God's relationship with one man. This is about God's relationship to the whole world through all of history. You know, we started this series last week, our March series titled Signs of the Passion. 
looking at Old Testament images, things in the Old Testament that foreshadow and give us these pictures of Jesus and His suffering and His death and resurrection. And so today we're on this second sign in Genesis chapter 22. So please, if you have your Bibles or your phone, electronic device, anything that you can use, follow along, if you will, as we look through these verses in Genesis chapter 22. This is really, it really is a gut-wrenching story of a father and a son. But what this story does is it points us to the heavenly father and his son. And we'll see three signs in this story as we go through this. Here's the first. The first and probably most obvious sign is Isaac himself. Isaac as a sign of the passion of Jesus. And the parallels here are just extraordinary. I mean, Isaac is the only, the one and only son of Abraham. The text tells us that specifically. But if you know the story, you're thinking, well, wait a minute, there's another son. There's Ishmael, who was born first. But Ishmael was born to the maidservant, Hagar. All that happened because Abraham and Sarah weren't sure God was going to follow through with his promise, and so they came up with their own plan. But it was Isaac who was the son of the promise. Isaac who was born to Abraham and Sarah in their old age. Isaac was the heir. And as we read here, Isaac was greatly loved. And that's a picture of Jesus. The one and only son of the Father. The one loved by the Father. The one sent by the Father. The son of God's promise to us. So just as Abraham was willing to sacrifice his beloved son, God was willing to sacrifice his beloved son. So you see the parallels beginning to come together. You go to the New Testament, John 3.16, probably the most familiar verse in the whole Bible, specifically says to us, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God did what he was asking Abraham to do in Genesis 22. There are a few other subtle images of this, of, of how Isaac is a picture of Christ. I just want you to see a few of these. So I gave you that picture of Isaac carrying the wood on his back for the sacrifice, bent over under that load going up the hill of Mount Moriah. Surely there is this foreshadowing picture of Jesus Christ carrying the wooden cross on his back as he goes up the hill to Golgotha. And there's another one here. I I think we don't know what age Isaac was exactly. Maybe a little older child, maybe a young teenager. He's old enough to be able to carry this wood. He's old enough to know what's going on here, that this is a sacrifice and that they're not, they don't have the lamb with them. He asked the question. So my reasoning is that if he was old enough for that, then he would have been old enough to run away once he recognized that he was going to be the sacrifice. He could have escaped his father Abraham had he chosen but he didn't. He trusted his father. He submitted to his father. Look at verse 9. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Here, this, just picture this. Isaac laid on this altar just as God's son would be laid out on that cross. Again, the pictures are just phenomenal here. God is painting this picture of the passion of His own Son hundreds of years before it ever happened. Abraham shows us the Father. 
Isaac shows us the son, Jesus. So what does this teach us? What do we learn from this particular part of the sign, the sign of Isaac? Well, you see faithful obedience in both the father Abraham and in his son Isaac. Throughout the story, just their, their faith just emerges. Abraham is totally committed to this plan of God regardless of the consequences, regardless of how unbelievable it seems and where it's headed. He just keeps obeying God. And Isaac submitting to his father, even though he knows something is awry, but he doesn't know the plan. He doesn't know what's coming. But he submits to his father. And so for us, what we learn out of this is the faithfulness of the fathers and the the submissive obedience of the sons. Both are presented to us in living color. So here's the lesson. I want to just give you a three-word lesson that goes with this sign. Easy to grab a hold of, easy to remember. Trust generates obedience. Trust generates obedience. It was Abraham's faith in God that led him to be able to obey this extraordinary command. It was that growth of faith throughout his life that brought him to this point to be able to obey. So as faith grows, that is where extraordinary obedience begins to emerge in our lives. You know, when I was a, a kid, our family used to travel in the summer because my dad would speak at conferences and camps and so on. I think I've mentioned that before. And so when we would go to places where there were mountains or canyons or whatever, we would always go on family hike. Our family, my dad especially, loved that kind of scenery, and so we would get out in nature and hike. And I remember as a kid, my dad always took family pictures, but one of the things he loved to do, a picture he liked to arrange, was me sitting on some kind of outcropping that looked really dangerous. <laughs> now, I, I was old, you know, I was not like two years old or something, but, but like elementary school, and so my dad would put me out on this rock. He'd say, okay, sit right there, don't move. And then he would walk away, get up someplace to get this angle, so he'd get the panorama of the beauty, but also a picture of his son that looks like I'm on this, this dangerous precipice right there. And my mom never liked it when he did that. You know, she would either complain or, or say, well, what are you doing? Don't leave him there. Or, or she'd turn away. She'd walk away. She'd, I don't even want, I'm not going to watch this. And my dad would get these extraordinary pictures. And, and I never thought anything about it. I was never fearful. My dad put me there. I trusted him completely. And I was a fairly compliant child. And, and so my dad knew if he said stay there that I wouldn't move. So he could safely leave me there enough time for the picture and then come back and get me. And the pictures show, and I guess my presence here shows, that it all worked out fine. (laughs) But it was that trust in my dad that generated the obedience to his word. And that's what we see in this story. Isaac trusting his father that leads to this obedience. Abraham trusting his heavenly father that leads to his obedience. And the son, Jesus, the full trust of his father's plan, obeying all the way to the cross. You will submit more and more to your heavenly father in your own life as you learn to trust him completely. As your faith grows, your obedience grows. And trust grows because of God's work in our lives. And that's what the next sign shows us as well. 
It affirms that you can trust God. He is trustworthy. So here it's so interesting to me because the image changes. We get right here to this point. Isaac is on the altar. Isaac, this picture of Jesus. And now the picture switches. Now there's a different image in place. Look at verses 10 to 13. Then he reached out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took, it, took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. At the last second, God intervenes. He spares Isaac's life. He provides a substitute sacrifice. And that's our second image here. The ram as a sign of Christ's passion. Now, the ram becomes the picture. See, as the picture changes, now we are Isaac. And the ram is Jesus taking our place on the altar. It's a beautiful picture. The substitute ram. The ram took Isaac's place and died. Jesus took our place on the cross and died for our sin. He took the punishment for us. And we heard it in Abraham's words. Before he even knew how God was going to do it, he told Isaac, God will provide. And God did provide. And so the provision is this, lamb, this ram caught in the thicket. Not the typical sacrifice, but in the moment, that's exactly what God provided for the sacrifice, the ram in the thicket. And in the same way, He provided His own Son, not the expected sacrifice, not the one everybody thought it would be, God's own Son, the sacrifice instead, the ram in the thicket. Verse 14, so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide he knew this was the answer to his prayer. The Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. So the name Abraham uses, the Lord will provide, you've probably heard this, it's Jehovah Jireh. That means the Lord provides. Abraham uses this name, gives God this name, the Lord provides, because he had provided right then and there in the moment. And the author of the book, again, gives this kind of narrative piece here and says to this day hundreds of years later still people say they remember the story and they say on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided and then many years after that it was Solomon's temple that was built on that very site Mount Moriah the sacrifices the Israelites brought all those years to the temple were a reminder that God provided and then, not far from that site, years later, God provided again as Jesus went to the cross. The images, the pictures, God's given us already in Genesis 22 of how He's going to save our sins, save us from our sins. So what do we learn from this sign of the ram? This is what we call, the theological phrase for this is substitutionary atonement, which simply means Jesus took our place to atone or pay the price for our sin. Sin, as you know, requires a price. The 
the price for sin, the Bible tells us, is death. We saw that last week in Genesis 3. The price for sin is death. But it means our, pay, our sins were paid for by someone else, by a substitute. It means that someone took our place on the altar. Someone took our place on the cross. <clears throat> so this story brings it home as we see the ram taking the place of Isaac. And we can know, you can know, Jesus took your place. He took your cross. He took your punishment for your sin. That's what this means. That's the substitution. Jesus died for you. Look, it's just a few verses in the New Testament that show this. 2 Corinthians 5.21, we'll put it on the screen here. Paul says, God made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. This is what we were singing about this morning, right? That Jesus, through His blood, covered our sin and became our righteousness. He took our sin on Himself, took it to the cross. And then Paul says in Romans 8.32, invests this with even more meaning. He says, who, He who did not spare His own Son, but who gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? So the tie-in here is wonderful. So Abraham, God says of Abraham in Genesis 22 verse 12, that he did not withhold his own son. So God speaks to Abraham and says, you did not withhold your own son when I ask. And then Paul says of God, he did not withhold his own son either. He didn't spare his own son. And so Paul's reasoning then is, if he didn't spare his own son for us, then why would he withhold anything else? Anything else we need for faith, for life, for obedience, God doesn't hold anything back from us, and He's proven that by sending His Son for us. And so this is our second three-word lesson here that sacrifice motivates trust. It's sacrifice that motivates trust. God paid the price. He gave the sacrifice for us, which motivates us to trust Him more and more and more because He's proven how much He loves us. His willingness to sacrifice His Son proves that we can trust Him. Some of you will remember this. We're going back nearly 40 years now. The end of this month will be the 40-year anniversary, March um, 30th, 1981. Ronald Reagan was president of our country at that point. He'd just come out of making a speech at Hilton Hotel in Washington. He's waving to the crowd, and if you remember this incident, all of a sudden gunshots ring out. And everybody begins to scramble. And right here is a serv Secret Service agent, kind of in the baby blue suit there. His name is Tim McCarthy. There's another Secret Service agent in the trench coat behind. As soon as they hear the gunshots, this agent behind begins to push Reagan toward the open door of a limousine that's out in front of him. A bullet ricochets off the limousine and gets, goes into Reagan. But Tim McCarthy covers him as he's on his way to the limousine. He puts his body between him and where the shots have come from, and he takes a bullet in the chest. Amazingly, not only does Reagan not die, Tim McCarthy did not die from that gunshot. Two others were hit by stray bullets, and they didn't die either. Four injured in that quick shooting. 
But it's McCarthy who's known from this date as the one who put himself between the gunshots and the president. Now, I I don't know what the relationship was like before or even after between Reagan and McCarthy, but I just think about this. If I'd been the president and after this guy recovered, I'd say, bring him. I want him as my bodyguard. I want him around me. This guy has proven that he's willing to take a bullet for me, to put himself between me and harm's way. That's who I want around me. See, sacrifice motivates trust. Sacrifice that God made for us by sending His own Son should motivate our trust in Him for anything and everything. Jesus took a bullet for you. If you want to take, put it in that, those terms, Jesus took a bullet for you on the cross. And how will God, as Paul reasons, the God who did that, who gave His Son for that, how would He not do anything and everything for you? How could you not trust Him with your life? There's one more part of this sign that's easy to miss. I want to make sure we get to this morning. God responds to Abraham's faith. He renews the covenant with Abraham in these last few verses. Verse 16 to 18. He says, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand in the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on the earth will be blessed because because you have obeyed me. Here's the third sign. The promise itself is a sign. The promise is a sign of Christ's passion. Because Abraham passed this test of faith, God reaffirms his covenant with Abraham. It's what we see in Genesis 12 and 13 and 15 and 17, all these chapters leading up to Genesis 22. God has been telling Abraham, I'm going to make your family into a great nation. I'm going to give you this land. But notice when he comes to verse 18, he uses this word offspring. It's the word seed. Does that ring any bells if you were here last week? Genesis chapter 3, right? 3.15, our passage last week. That same word. So what God is talking about here is this same offspring, the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham. Not just all the descendants, but this one specific descendant whom God would use to save the world. This is a reference to Jesus. Yes, the nation of Israel would have a part in blessing the nations, but it would be that one, Jesus Himself, the Son of God, the Messiah, the serpent slayer, and the substitute ram. He would be the one who would save the world. And so this sign reminds us that There's a blessing that comes through our obedience. Abraham, because you have obeyed me, this is what will happen. This is how my promises will be fulfilled in you. This is what will come of your obedience today. This is so powerful. I hope you see this. That our faith and then the resulting obedience of our faith not only produces blessing in our lives, and it often does, and that's wonderful when that blessing comes on us, but that's not what God is talking about here. He's saying to Abraham, because of your obedience, nations are going to be blessed. 
people that you will never see or meet in generations to come are going to be blessed because of your obedience. So here's the lesson from this third sign. Obedience multiplies blessing. When through faith we obey God, God takes that obedience and He multiplies it to bless others. as we become part of His kingdom work. You know, we're, we're a year from when everything broke loose, right? A year ago this past week, nation shut down because of COVID. We, we were in for a number of weeks, virtual services only, and could not meet like this. One of the images, especially here in the Atlanta area that was seen, and maybe you remember, is this picture, this boy, 12-year-old, his name is Jason, playing his trumpet outside Emory Hospital in Decatur. His, this happened because his mom, who is a music teacher, his dad also, and there's no surprise he plays trumpet, his dad plays trombone for the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra. So he's learning to play trumpet, and of course school is shut down too, and so they're looking for places for him to play. Well, his mom saw these New York musicians playing from their balconies in honor of of the healthcare workers and frontline workers and so on during COVID. And so this was in, I think, maybe April, so only a month or six weeks after the shutdown. And she shares this idea with her son, Jason. He says, why don't you take your trumpet and go play for the workers at the hospital down the street? And he did. And he went back the next night and the next night and the next night, <laughs> weather permitting, for 100 days straight. Little Jason went there, played his trumpet every evening. And you hear the testimonies of those healthcare workers and even some of the patients, people who were coming in and out, the hot spot of things right then. What a blessing. This young man, he, he followed the directives of his parents, listened to their advice, obeyed, and he was used as a blessing to so many others. And this is the lesson here again. Obedience multiplies blessing. Abraham obeyed God and God used it to bless the world. <laughs> when, when you obey God and follow His direction in your life, God will use that to bless others. Holly, you gave us a great example of that this morning. By following through and obeying God, listening to Him, now God's using you to bless others who come to the Ruth house in your same situation. That's what God does. That's the beauty of this principle. There's a final sign that's embedded in this story, and then, but it's not here in Genesis. So I didn't include it in the whole mix, but it's where I want us to land this morning. It comes from the question that's probably still bouncing around in your brain, <laughs> because it is in mine. How did Abraham... How? As, as much faith as he had, and though he heard the direct voice of God, still, to take a knife and be ready to kill your own son? I, I just can't even fathom it. How did Abraham do that? And Genesis 22 doesn't tell us. But God gives us the answer hundreds of years later in the New Testament when the writer of Hebrews is reflecting back. Hebrews 11, it's often we know this chapter as the hall of faith. Listen to verses 17 to 19. I'll have them on the screen here. 
The writer of Hebrews says, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Here it is, verse 19. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. So, what gave Abraham the faith to obey God in this most, surely the most difficult situation and command of God ever given? It was the hope of resurrection. Abraham reasoned, even if his knife ended the life of his son Isaac, that God could raise him back up. God had the power to do that, and God had made him a promise about this son. And so Abraham could follow through because he believed that God could raise the dead. Do you believe God can raise the dead? This sign of the passion takes us to Christ's resurrection, doesn't it? Because there God proved it again by raising his own son. So Abraham received Isaac back from what seemed to be certain death, not actual death, but God raised, God raised his son Jesus from actual death. From three days dead, he raised his son. That's the power of God. That's the resurrection. And that's pictured in this very story in the faith of Abraham. It was resurrection that gave him faith. God can raise the dead. And that resurrection that Abraham could only hope for, we've seen it in Christ. So how much more should our faith be in the resurrection power of God? So I would just say to you this morning, if you're here and you've never put your faith in Christ as your Savior from sin, it, this message is for you. This passage, this story is for you to know that just as the ram took Isaac's place on that altar, Jesus took your place on the cross. He died for your sin. He took your death. He has made the way for you to be given resurrection life. If you have any question about that, if you are not sure that you have received that life from Him, please come talk to me, Pastor Jason, any of our elders or deacons with the little name tags on after the service. We would love that opportunity to talk to you about that so you can know today. And if you're here today and you know that already, you have experienced this and you have that resurrection life already living in you, then may this story Strengthen your understanding of God's love for you and strengthen your desire to trust the one who made the ultimate sacrifice for you and in that trust to obey him fully. And to grab a hold of the words of this last song, as the, when the team leads this, you may not know the song, you may just want to listen to the song, let it speak to you this morning. Hear the words. Those were my nails. It was my crown that pierced your hands and your brow. Those were my thorns. Those were my scorns. Those were my tears that fell down. And just as you said it would be, you did it all for me. And after you counted the cost, you took my shame and my blame on my cross. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this morning, this powerful story just ministers to us because it reminds us, Lord, that you were picturing what would happen 
long before it ever happened. You had this plan in mind. You had already made the commitment to send your son to provide the sacrifice for us. And you showed Abraham and Isaac that picture in such vivid fashion on that mountain, on that altar. And so today we know the same thing that Abraham knew. On the mountain of the Lord, it is provided for us. That Jesus took our sin on himself on that cross and died the death that we deserve because of sin. So Lord, this morning I pray that you would stir us with that sacrifice. And if there's anybody here that has never received your gift of life and forgiveness, I pray that they would do that today. To know that they have your gift of life that lasts forever. And for those of us that know that, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would stir in us uh, the faith of Abraham, a faith that is willing to follow you anywhere, to do whatever you ask us to do, to obey without question because you have proven your love for us. And you've proven that you have life for us. Lord, thank you for that promise. And as we move toward that Easter Sunday when we will celebrate it, I pray, Lord, that we would walk this road of your passion, drinking in your love for us each and every step. Thank you, Lord, that you took our sin on our cross for our sake. In Jesus' name, amen.